A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you. Two guys with zero super license points. Nope, we are in the same position as Colton Herta in the sense that we don't have a chance to run Formula One in 2023. But I, I don't think we've tried as hard either, though. No. I haven't, at least, personally. No, I, I've I done nothing to try to uh, make my case to the FIA. Yeah, and Christian Horner continues to not return my calls. From Red Bull, unfortunately. That's, yeah, that's not a surprise <laughs> at all. This week, uh, we have plenty to discuss. The first off-season edition of the podcast here in 2022, at least post-2022 IndyCar season. Kyle Busch, Aero McLaren SP rumors. We Already, some, that didn't take long, did it? Some drama behind the scenes with Indy Lights. We have some some tests, some driver announcements. All to come on this week's episode, and I think we'll start off with the obvious lead story as we record here on Thursday night, September 22nd in the States. Kyle Busch, this came down from Jenna Fryer, the Associated Press, earlier today. McLaren working uh, behind the scenes for Kyle Busch for a fourth car for the Indianapolis 500. Uh, The effort would likely be backed by Menards, that's according to Fryer. Again, you got to remember, Bush is in NASCAR. He left Toyota and Joe Gibbs Racing, now with Richard Childress Racing, and can compete in the Indy 500 with a Chevrolet team. I mean, we've been dreaming about this, what? It feels like for a long time. I mean, this first surfaced way back in, I think, 2015, that he was interested in the Indy 500, but it seemed like it could be more of a reality in recent years. And now that he's with a Chevy team, green light is there. Just got to put together the deal. Now, this article does not specify if it is indeed for next year, which would be a fourth car, or if it'd be for 2024. But all in all, considering there's even a a sponsor mentioned in the story, I would assume it's for next year. How about that? Uh, Is there any previous relationship between Kyle Busch and Menards? I don't Uh, know. There was in NASCAR. Was there? He, well... Not not in the sense that he was sponsored by Menards, but I think with his M&M's deal, somehow they had some sort of B2B thing with Menards because okay. Kyle Busch showed up in like some Menards advertising. Gotcha. I don't know if this is on TV or like on, you know, in print or like on web stuff, digital stuff. I can't recall, but I know that he showed up in Menards advertising. I think it's a good good thing for the series because, you know, one of the questions over the last couple of years is if and when Paul Menard and Menards would return to IndyCar, and that's always been a relationship with Roger Penske, and wouldn't surprise me if Roger Penske pointed Paul Menard in the direction of this opportunity or if this was a pre-existing relationship. But, of course, it was going to be McLaren. We talked about it last podcast. It was the only Chevy team that made sense. We thought this wouldn't be till 2022, but could there be, or 2024, excuse me, 
but maybe there's a possibility of 23. And I spent way too much time today, Caleb, trying to figure out exactly how the playoff system in the Cup Series works. Do you have to run every race to qualify for the playoff? I'm because I don't. We haven't seen anything to say that Kyle would just be doing the 500 or would do the double. By my understanding, and this took way too long to try to track down, and I think I found an answer. You have to attempt to qualify for every single race in the season to qualify for the cup playoffs. And so Kyle Busch would undoubtedly have to do the double unless he somehow got an exemption from NASCAR, similar to what Kurt Busch got this year. Yeah, and Kurt Busch got the exemption due to injury, correct? Yes. So I think they're more likely to do a waiver for an injury or, or something like that that's kind of beyond a driver's control, whereas Kyle Busch, now, you said he has to attempt to qualify. I'd say that'd be pretty easy because one would assume that qualifying would be the Saturday before the Indy 500. Yeah, it's not ideal, but there's no track time Correct. in Indy. So as long, yes, he'd, seen he'd, in miss, the past, right? he'd miss the Friday uh, where he'd do that final IndyCar practice carb day, uh, depending on the schedule, and then be in... Charlotte, Friday night, Saturday. So that means he'd miss some of the Indy 500 stuff. And, you know, that's tough when you're looking at it from a, a sponsor perspective, media perspective. The, I mean, it, look, if you're the sponsor of the Indy 500 ride and Kyle Busch is not available for Friday night of before the Indy 500 and the Saturday before, that's not ideal as far as that's a time when drivers and teams will schmooze partners. So that's not ideal, but you can find a way to work around it. He would be the first driver to do the double since his brother, Kurt did it in 2014. He actually finished sixth in the 500 finished 40th in the Coke 600. You know, my question is though, and, and you know, maybe the exception is, you know, we saw Kurt Busch finish sixth, but did he, how much, practice time was he able to put in a significant amount that month correct oh yeah absolutely that would be my question for kyle because he's gonna have very limited time over two weeks effectively you know you know considering he maybe does a test as well to get himself acclimated into an indy car right and be competitive and i just don't know uh, if Kyle does Kyle want to do that if he can't put 100% of his effort into a 500 run does he just kind of want to do it I wouldn't say half-assed but when you're doing the double you're really splitting your time and effort between two races and you can't really focus on both so I just kind of wonder how that would look particularly if Kyle Busch is sitting in May doesn't have a win yet in cup and is not necessarily a shoe in for the playoff yet well and another thing to think of so he would most likely be able to compete in one, if not both days of the IMS oval test, which will likely be in late April. I don't think they've officially announced that. I know there've been some dates thrown around and we're expecting the schedule uh, for IndyCar for 2023 to be announced soon. Well, more details on that throughout the show today, but he will at least have that opportunity for one, if not two days of testing. Plus, there'd probably be some sort of rookie test. Look, if they make the move and, and announce something quickly, then he could maybe even be available for a test before the end of the year somewhere. 
Potentially. Um, I would love to see at some point both Bush brothers run the 500 in the same year. I don't know if that's realistic going forward or not, but, you know, it's been Kyle Larson and Kyle Bush. That's been the discussion, right? And if this does come to fruition for 2023, it's a, a tremendous boost to the 500 with Kyle Bush on board. So I'm all for it. Hopefully it works out. I think an IndyCar back in the Menards colors at, at the 500, it feels long overdue, even though it's been a couple of years, but I would be definitely excited to see it. And it's progressing much quicker than I thought it would. And like you said, I would love for Kyle and Kurt Bush to be in the Indy 500. Cause then we can get all the media saying, Kubu and Kaibu, and you know how much I love that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> do you feel like this would be a one-and-done type thing with Kyle, or do you think he could really make this a multi-year effort? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, it's only it's only Robbie Gordon and Tony Stewart that have done it multiple times, the double. I believe so. I don't think John Andretti did it multiple times. I'm, I think I'm not he only sure. did it in 94. That was the original or one of the first... I think it was John Andretti only did it once. So our, our crack research team, John Andretti, first attempt, 94, 2001, Tony Stewart, became the first and only driver to successfully compete or complete all 1,100 both, miles. Yeah. Um, so four drivers have attempted. John Andretti, Robbie Gordon did it five times, Tony Stewart twice, Kurt Busch once. So there, there you, go. you go. And I just wonder if this is just checking off a bucket list item for Kyle Busch and he'll be satisfied after one Indianapolis 500 start. And in the event that he doesn't win, would he entertain coming back again? But I think, you know, get him there once, see how he likes it, see about the experience, and then hopefully he continues to come back. You know, I really have no idea what, you know, if if this is something he wants to just try, like you said, or if it could be a multiple year thing. He probably doesn't even know yet, to be honest. No, it probably depends on how it goes, how comfortable he is, how much he enjoys it or doesn't enjoy it. (laughs) And you know Kyle Busch will be honest about either. Yes. (laughs) Love him or hate him, he will be honest. You know, in a way, it'll be exciting because IndyCar fans will finally have someone that everyone will probably just boo. And I think that's great. I don't know. Based on, you know, feedback, people, you know, some people have a problem with how Joseph Newgarden has been this past year. So, you know, on one side, we don't want all of our drivers being vanilla, but somebody that actually shows some sort of personality and we jump down the throat of as well. So beggars can't be choosers, but I would definitely be welcoming to Kyle Busch into the Indianapolis 500. I think his honesty is refreshing and i i am all for whatever he has to say positive or negative about the experience if he does come over i'll just be curious when they do driver intros if there are more booze or cheers i I, I think there'll be considerable cheers for kyle bush i feel you know any driver that feels as if he or she is called to the 500 to do it from a other discipline deserves to be cheered. And I, I would be surprised if there was more than just a small spattering of, of booze for Kyle Bush. Keeping it with Aaron McLaren SP because, well, there's a lot that came down from that team. This just one of the items, another that was in this article. So Taylor Kyle uh, announced that he was leaving the team as team president after being the team president for the past two years was with the team back when it was Schmidt, 
Peterson, well, even before then, it just would have been Sam Schmidt Motorsports all the way back in 2008 is when he started with the team, worked his way up to team president. He stepped down from his role with the team. Brian Barnhart announced uh, as a new hire to the team. Now, they did not give a specific title for him, but Barnhart was the strategist for Alexander Rossi this past season at Andretti Autosport. Obviously, he was uh, on the IndyCar side for quite a long time as far as being, what, the president of race operations and race director of IndyCar. And he was with Harding Racing back in 2017. That team was absolved by Andretti Autosport a couple years down the road. But this is another big hire for them, a guy who has some high-level management experience. I mean, he's he's been all over the board in, in his IndyCar career. He worked for Team Penske for a long time. He worked for the series for a long time. Last with Andretti. So another hire. I, they haven't said he's going to be the team president, but it would not surprise me if he has a similar type role. Interesting with Taylor Kyle, and I know it was announced that he left on his own, but you know, was there an inevitable fallout from the Alex Pillow situation? And did there need to be a fall guy of sorts for the cluster that that became? I, I don't know. It just it just felt like it came out of out of nowhere because Taylor Kyle has has kind of been the guy, the point person for McLaren in the two years he's been there. Everything he spoke of was looking towards the future and building, and for him to then decide, quote unquote, decide to step away, a little puzzling. But a familiar face comes in in Brian Barnhart, who's been around for a hot minute, like you said. I hope Taylor Kyle lands on his feet somewhere, but an interesting turn of events at McLaren behind the scenes. Well, it's funny you say Taylor Kyle, who was with that team for nearly 50 years. So Jenna Fryer posits in the AP article, as far as Kyle's next move, uh, widely believed he'll be introduced at Ganassi as soon as his non-compete clause expires. Mike, oh. Mike Hull is his stepfather. So maybe they really? worked. Yeah. I didn't know which that. I had, I had read that before, but I forgot before reading this. Hmm. But like you said, could that have been some fallout from the Plo thing? They had some sort of trade. It'd say, okay, um, they maybe Ganassi wanted Taylor Kyle and obviously Alex Plo. And McLaren at least wanted the TPC testing program to continue. Maybe that was part of this, the trade, part of the arbitration. Maybe it was as simple as Chip Ganassi going, okay, McLaren, you're trying to screw me over with a driver. I'm going to go steal your team principal. Yeah. It could be as simple as that. Pettiness. I love it. So that is uh, something else to keep in mind. Plus, while we're at it and we haven't talked about it yet, and this is not in the article, but it is something you have to address and consider and speculate on. Quite simply, Air McLaren SP has run three cars, right? The Indy 500 in past years. It's been Felix Rosenquist, Pato Award the past two years, and then Juan Pablo Montoya. They did run Alonzo, what, in 2020 in a third car. But if they have three cars plus a fourth at Indy, which they've said they're open to doing, and I think Kyle Busch would be that opportunity, does that mean that that's it for Juan Pablo Montoya at the Indy 500? With McLaren, probably. I don't see Penske adding a fourth car for him, I guess is my point. I mean, you look at Juan Pablo Montoya, multi-year you know, multi champion of the Indianapolis 500, of course. 
but getting up there, you know, 47 as we speak right now and, and looking at his Indy 500 results, finished 11th this past year, ninth the year before with Aaron McLaren. I mean, he's still competitive, but when you have a chance to run Kyle Busch, I feel as if their decision is pretty much made for them in the respect that in terms of hype, Kyle Busch is going to bring it over Juan Pablo Montoya, who's won two Indianapolis 500s. That may not be fair, but I think it's accurate. Well, and how much longer is Montoya going to want to do this? I mean, I think he's open to it as long as the opportunity's there, but I also don't think he's begging for a seat. I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going from garage to garage trying to find a a, a seat at the 500. But he also, you know, his kid is coming up, right, in, in junior formulas and racing, and he's kind of heavily involved in that. So... At 47 years old, you know, Juan Pablo Montoya isn't a guy that strikes me as hanging on longer than he should in a sport. Juan Pablo could look at it and say, look, I've, I've had a couple competitive seasons uh, in sports cars. You know, what is he raced for? Dragon Speed, I think, in sports cars? Uh, yes. So, Plus, his son is that's know, what I said. Getting, his son is getting into it. Getting so. into it is pretty talented. Yeah, so he may just want to be a dad for you know going forward, and and whether that includes a full time seat continuing in in IMSA, potentially, I think if an opportunity arose with the right team for the five hundred, he would take it. But he's not a guy that's going to hang on and overstay his welcome, so to speak. So that's a, another factor to look at it from the Aaron McLaren SP side. I would think another team would snap him up if they had the funding and Montoya believed it was a competitive ride. But to me, the options for that, you know, if Jimmy Johnson by some slim chance does not do the Indy 500 next year, I think he does. Yeah. Um, you know, he would be an option. Obviously Tony Kanaan would be an option there. And then what Andretti Autosport, you know, I'm just guessing, but yes, Marco Andretti will run as long as he wants, as far as the 500, but is there a chance that Andretti runs six or a chance that Marco doesn't run the 500 next year and then they go after Montoya? Potentially. There's some history there, obviously, but this sport continues to trend younger and younger, and I don't know if teams are going to bend over backwards to try to find a seat for Juan Pablo Montoya, as fair or unfair as it is. We could see. Yeah, I I think that's a... A question mark. I don't know if he gets a 500 ride outside of with Aaron McLaren SP if that's not happening for next year. But we'll we'll find out. That's something to monitor in the offseason as far as filling you know, out the field of 33. I wouldn't put it past Meyer Shank to take a run of Juan Pablo. That's true. You know, he's he's got two Indy 500 winners as full-timers. Would Mike Shank reach out to Juan Pablo if he's available and say, hey, want to come run and be our third Indy 500 champion in May. Well, and eventually you get to the point where you're running out of engine leases for, for <laughs> Honda. I mean, the, the cap right? of 18 and I, I don't know what they're at right now. What is it, 14 or 15? So it's it's pretty tight. It would definitely have to be something that you would think would be announced sooner rather than later early in the new year because those leases are going to go fast, I reckon. All right, next on the agenda, so we have some IndyCar 
schedule news. No, the schedule not out. And we've heard different things about when it could be released. In fact, Nathan Brown, of the Indie star saying the earliest it was going to be released was actually today. That clearly did not happen. We're not talking about it for this week's episode, but in due time, Marshall Pruitt mentioning in the mailbag on racer.com Toronto, one of the two events left now that Texas is good with a few final details to lock down. So that's, why everything is is not set in stone. But Nathan Brown did report this a couple of days ago, a schedule nugget. According to multiple sources, the series plans to hold its open two-day preseason test February 2nd and 3rd at Homestead Miami Speedway. Nope. Nope. Not like what we thought. Something we've never heard of. We have not heard of this, but it'll be held at the Thermal Club in Southern California. Venue includes multiple track layouts around two miles and sits 40 miles east of Palm Springs. And some notes on this. Tony DeZeno said business to business deals tend to occur at tracks like this because of the clientele. If memory serves, the Cusick Dragon Speed Indy 500 tie-up discussion originated at a meeting at Thermal. Also, Nathan Brown responding. Arrows Mike Long is a member out there. So that's like one of the, the head, I assume, the CEO of Arrow is a member out there as well. So you have a tie-in, and it's basically a gated community that has a couple of racetracks. Which to is sum it up. Absolutely wild. It's a small town in California that has a private motorsports facility. It's 344 acres south of Thermal. It's a basically a country club. Private country yes. club, but instead of golf, it's auto racing. And the bonus, yes, it is out in the desert, but the bonus is that there's a regional airport like directly north of it. Yeah. So there's access for the teams. I have never heard of this place. I would still be very, I wouldn't say very surprised if it happens. Like, is the infrastructure in place at this place? Is there, you know, you know, guard, you know, guardrails, guardrails or and you know, I just, you know. I just it's just bizarre to me. Well, it's only a test. I don't think it's a, it's gonna be a future. No, race no, date but or you're gonna have full full grids on there. You're gonna have twenty six, yeah. twenty seven cars on track. Like, do you have the infrastructure here? I imagine they do if it's even being considered. But I've just never heard of this place. Connor Daly did post on Twitter talking about this that he ran a Lamborghini. Uh, they did a test in a Lamborghini out there. So drivers are familiar with this track. They've sports cars have run on this track before. So it's not something that's unfamiliar to drivers or to team owners. It's just unfamiliar to fans is basically my understanding of it. And again, I would hope that this is a deal where IndyCar, instead of paying to test the facility, is getting paid to test That'd the facility. That'd be nice, right? Right? <laughs> I would hope so. Or at the very least, giving it to them pro bono. Yeah, because IndyCar is creating a lot of buzz for this facility that the Thermal no. Club would undoubtedly <laughs> use for marketing materials to draw in new clients. Yeah, and folks like you and I and the majority of our listeners will never be members of the Thermal Club. No, I don't even, uh, from everything I've understood that I've read online, it's truly a gated community. We couldn't even step foot in unless we had some special pass. No, we can say we know Mike Shank. Maybe that'll get us at least to the gate, but probably not inside the gate. Yeah, I, I don't think uh, that would that would work. <laughs> just uh, it'd be worth a shot. Very, 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 very weird. Hopefully, it works out for IndyCar. It just sounds kind of odd. Yes, odd move for sure. 
Continuing on with other schedule notes, uh, Nathan Brown also, he had an article in the Indy Star last week, but a couple other dates to pencil in. Barber will be April 30th, Road America June 18th. He has the rest and the article. Look, I think we'll get the full schedule. My guess would be next week. Doesn't sound as if the scheduled delay is because of uncertainties with events. It's basically figuring out times, logistics, maybe even TV schedule, etc. Can we expect that? Remind me. I mean, does the schedule come out and the TV schedule? I th- Usually they're separate. That's what I thought. Or at least maybe there's a tease of there'll be X amount of races on network that'll be announced at a later time. But we expect this the schedule to look very similar to what it was this past year. Maybe some changes for 2024. But as of right now, expect a very similar looking schedule for 2023. And an article in Forbes from Maury Brown, a writer for them, talking with uh, future dates and the kind of a recap of the 2022 season television wise uh, in the UK Sky Sports had a good audience and talking about the US audience obviously we, we went over that in detail plus 5% on the year on NBC here in the US but the notable part obviously as always at the end of the article um one thing fans could see is some form of exotic postseason exhibition race. It mentions NASCAR with the Coliseum Clash F1 with the night race in Vegas. Uh, IndyCar has seen the value in promoting the sport in ways that don't impact the schedule. Mark Miles saying there are two possibilities in that regard. One may materialize, and you'll hear more about it in the coming weeks, and that could not be a race per se, but our season opening test could be in a different kind of place and a different kind of uh, of way to expose this. Huh? Well, I'm yeah, guessing well, we that's that. what we just told you about. I guess my question is how does an exclusive gated racetrack get you some added exposure for the sport? I mean, the only, the only, the only positive this could be, and maybe this is the thinking. And if it works out, it's genius is you are going to be hobnobbing and showcasing your sport to a bunch of guys and girls and companies that have a lot of extra money to spend. And maybe that is the effort to go to the Thermal Club in SoCal and around Silicon Valley-esque or at least you know somewhat nearby is you can tap into some people that have a lot, a lot of money. Well, here's why it's those specific dates. So the clash is Sunday, February 5th. The IndyCar test is February 2nd and 3rd. So that would be okay. the, what, the Thursday and Friday before. before so I clash. think that's why they're doing it that way because there will already be media. True. I in that market, and it's just a way to try to... I just don't know how many how much media is going to be wanting to go to yeah, Thermal, it's, California. It's way outside of LA. It's That would I be a halt. Yeah. The only thing that, would, that, to me, is a benefit here is you're put in front of some people that have, a, have some cash and maybe would invest in the series. And if any of the NASCAR media comes down early, which I think they would for a, a test, an open test like this, since they're already going to be covering the cup race, they just double dip. And that's a way to get more media coverage out of yeah, it. Yeah, you know, like Jenna Fryer, for example, yeah. will probably double dip. But, you know, could this even be more... I, I hate to mention the buzzword or the, the buzz kill word, OEM. So if going out to California and Southern California and puts you in front of some eyes, some movers and shakers in that realm, could it move something in a positive direction 
in that respect. So I'm sure more clarity will come in. I'm sure IndyCar officials, somebody will, you know, whether it's Jay Fry or whoever, will talk about this as it gets closer and why they're doing this. But as an outsider right now, in terms of pub, in terms of excitement, this doesn't really move the needle. But if it's more B2B and it's more, you know, maybe potential investments in the series, then I can get behind it. It's different from something they've done before. So I guess I'll keep an open mind. And it's not even been announced, right? I mean, it's been reported, Brewer, yeah. but it's not been officially announced and they haven't given details on it. But because it's right before the clash that weekend, it's IndyCar trying to get ahead on the media side. And look, yeah. I think that in and of itself is something IndyCar would not have done in the past. Could They're it be, being more aggressive. Right. Could it be more of an event thing? Could they have some sort of showcase at this trial? I don't know. We've been talking about it, Caleb, about IndyCar trying something different could this be at least the first clue into trying something different? I'm I'm totally for that if it pays off, if if it looks as if it could pay dividends down the road. So maybe IndyCar has some great plan here that's going to happen here at Thermal that's going to be eye-catching, that's going to be attention-grabbing. Let's hope, because at least on the peripheral, this doesn't look like a, a great idea. Well, funny you mentioned having some sort of Exhibition. So the article goes on to say before the end, while IndyCar is technically international, it means races in the series for points are held in North America, but could there be something outside the US, Canada, and Mexico to consider? Mark Miles said, final sentence of the story, the exhibition would be outside the Western Hemisphere, outside North America. They're going back to China, even though that never actually happened. Oh, (laughs) man. So I'm all for if they find a... company or a country that wants to pay for everybody to go over there and race in an exhibition race i'm all for it i'm i'm not truly excited about you know let's say it's abu dhabi what if they went to abu dhabi and all the money is fronted up front and they go over there and race now if you're abu dhabi why are you spending money on indycar when you have formula one come in but who am i to question it's a lot cheaper yeah but you know, could it be something like that? I mean, I would be perfectly content with it if it gets IndyCar in front of potential investors. And I think that's the key is like, look, there's two two facets of this thing. IndyCar needs more fans. We can all agree on that. But they also need more investors. They also need more people that are willing to throw capital into this sport. And it's slowly growing in that direction, but it's not an impact type thing. We'll get to the discussions about Indy Lights and the payout or lack thereof in there. And it seems like a measly amount of money, a couple hundred thousand dollars to a billionaire like Roger Penske, but that's not how he runs his businesses. And so that tells me that this money is still tight in the IndyCar series. If they can go to, let's say an Abu Dhabi and or a Singapore or something and tap into some investments in those markets, definitely a positive for the series. Next on the list, silly season stuff as far as on the IndyCar side. Nathan Brown with a story a few days ago on IndyStar.com talking about silly season, basically waiting on Jimmy Johnson's decision. And it does feel that way because that depends on the number of Honda engine leases. If it's full time, we expect David Malukas to be back with uh, Dale Coin Racing with HMD Motorsports. However, IndyCar Deep Throat saying that Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing is interested in Malukas. Not sure if it would be a third car or a fourth car. 
but uh, Bobby would love to bring on Malukas. Depends on if they want to add another car or replace Jack. I Which doubt, I think there's a buyout for Jack. They would have to buy out that contract. I doubt Jack is Hy-Vee wanted him signed on a multi-year deal. So it, we'll have more on Jack here quickly. But in, in fact, the Racer.com mailbag, another note from that. A lot of good nuggets in the mailbag this week, plus one from last week we glossed over that I know is one of your favorite topics. So of course I'm going to bring it bring up. Bring it. Not yet, but um, Pruitt saying that as far as Felix Rosenquist, it was rumored to replace Harvey. Um, the hot rumor over the final weeks of the season was that Felix would replace Jack after a buyout was completed. I'm not saying that was going to happen, but it was the story everyone was telling me. That was something to keep in mind. Also, as far as the schedule goes, since we're also talking about races, uh, NASCAR trucks back at Milwaukee Mile. We mentioned that last week. Pruitt saying can't wait to write about IndyCar being back in the mile in 2024 or 2025. That was not like him reporting it. It was no, just, I but think, he's teasing that. Yes. I think if all goes well for trucks at Milwaukee this coming season, IndyCar's back in 2024. I would agree. And if they find a way to use that date, now granted, schedule-wise, that's a grind because you have Nashville, you have the second IMS road course race, you have Gateway, and then you'd have an open date and then Labor Day weekend would be Portland. So there is so, an open date as far as the truck state currently, but I, I think would, you'd have to get rid of the IMS road course race. That's to what make I'm saying. Work. Get rid of the second Indi- uh, second road course race. It serves no purpose other than trying to hype up the Brickyard weekend. Get rid of that and insert Milwaukee. I think you, you try to use that date, date equity with trucks in 2024, keep it the same and add IndyCar. So that's something else to keep in mind. Also on the, the silly season front, Alex Pillow, his contract, Marshall says, couldn't get a straight answer on some things, but I believe the team-based option, Chip Ganassi Racing triggered in July, is the same that he'll drive under next year. I did confirm he's gotten a raise, so my guess, and it's only a guess, is a secondary agreement for that, and the testing freedom was crafted. I can't say if the 2024 option was voided, but I also can't see how Ganassi would give that up since it had blow by the Franken beans and had no reason to reduce its leverage. I yeah, put, we sit here and say, well, after 2023, he's gone, but he's still under contract for 2024 as well. Well, I think Ganassi has an option or maybe Pelot has an option. I, I, I thought it was a team option for both 23 and 24. But it was only was. picked up for next year. Right. But it's usually a year by year thing. You usually don't pick it up for two years. Pruitt goes on to say, talking about that, I put your money on Alex leaving CGR as soon as he's contractually allowed to go. I could easily see him in Rosenquist number seven, AMSP Chevy in 24 or 25. I I don't know what to think with Alex below at this point. I really don't. <laughs> um, but you know what? With how much hardball that CGR played with the 2023 contract, you know, do they play hardball again and pick it up for 2024 i guess we'll find out maybe if the performance is there who knows yeah we we shall see what comes of that i don't think anyone has a clue as far as nobody what the future holds <laughs> with alex anybody and beyond racing for them in 2023 that that's all we do know let's just hope at least on for their sakes it's a drama free 2023 i like the entertainment I don't think they do. No. Continuing on with silly season stuff. So Augustine or Augustine Canapino, I'm sure I completely butchered his name. My apologies. But he had a seat fitting with Hunko's Hollinger Racing uh, this week. So that's a name to keep in mind for the 
second seat, the 78 car. And looking at his career stats, he's Argentinian. Look, we, we knew they'd be keen to test an Argentinian. Uh, he is, let's see, 32. Wow. Old? He was born a year after me. So he's 32. Like He has the same birthday. So okay. I'm automatically rooting for this guy if he gets into IndyCar. Uh, he's the son of Alberto Canapino, a renowned race car mechanic in Argentina. Uh, he's He competed in IMSA at the 12 Hours of Sebring with Hunkos back in 2019. Finished in 10th. Also competed in the 24 Hours of Daytona that year. Finishing in 8th in the DPI class. Um, you look at his racing career. He's racing TC2000. Top race, TC Pista. Uh, Turismo Carretera that he won. Um, he won championships in TC and top race Torneo Clausura in 2010. And between 2011 and 2017, he won all the titles in top race except for 2015. Won the Super TC 2000 championship in 2016. The Chevrolet Argentina factory team, three time TC champion between 2017 and 2019 with Canapino Sport Team, which is led by his father. He's also run a few races of Stock Car Brazil, which Tony Canon competes in. So he's done some sports car stuff. Don't know much about him. There's not a whole lot on his Wikipedia page beyond what I've, I've read to you. But he's got a seat fit, and I would expect him to get a test. We'll see what happens. This almost feels like a favor. Yeah. I don't see this guy as being a legitimate contender for that second seat. I see him as being, hey, you did some sports car events with us. That was a lot of fun. That was cool. We appreciate you. You know, with that 24 hours of Daytona in 2019, he was teammates with Renee Bender and Kyle Kaiser, two guys that have raced for Hunkos. I don't think this is a serious contender. He may think so. Maybe Hunkos is selling it that way. But I really think that Hunkos wants somebody that has a little bit more time in an IndyCar to partner with Callum Eilat. I, I really do. And this is a nice gesture, but I would be absolutely shocked if this is the guy that's in the seat for next year. I would say it's probably the guy is paying for a test. And if it goes well, he may have an opportunity. I have no idea what kind of funding he brings because that's obviously that's always be the great equalizer, right? Part of the, the equation. But it's a name to keep in mind. I would expect he'd have a test. If they're going to do a seat fit, they're obviously going to do a test sometime in the offseason. A couple other quick IndyCar driver notes. Scott Dixon, Ryan hunter Ray will race with Chip Ganassi Racing for the final IMSA race uh, of the DPI era at Road Atlanta next week for Motul Petit Le Mans. So that's something to keep in mind. And with that, oh, we have one other note for IndyCar. IndyCar entry among potential Trackhouse expansions, according to Justin Marks, owner of Trackhouse Racing, that Racer.com article. That's been mentioned before. This is not really a surprise. There's nothing, nothing groundbreaking. Nothing groundbreaking. They would entertain, you know, obviously racing an IndyCar and or the Indy 500. I don't see it as imminent with Trackhouse. No, I, I mean, do not. 2025 at the earliest is what I would say. And even then, I think they would partner with a team before they even tried something independently. Okay, so now we get into Indy Lights, where there's a ton of news this week. IndyCar Lights, maybe. <laughs> yeah. So first, Christian Bogle will return to HMD Motorsports next year. That announced this week. Next on the list, Jamie Chadwick, who two-time W Series champion. She had her test with Andretti Autosport this week, and 
everything that we've read about this is that it went extraordinarily well. She tested at Sebring, completed 126 laps at the same pace as previous lights testing at the track. That from TSO Ladder. I'm excited about Jamie Chatter. I am too. If she's in any lights next year, which Rob Howden gave us every indication that she would be full-time next year, back when we talked to him a few weeks ago, and if you missed that episode, be sure to check it out because there's a lot of good stuff in there. But that is someone that is beyond just being, you know, someone we're excited about from a racing perspective. I mean, there's just so much more yeah. with that. And she's talented. She's very yeah. talented. But three straight W Series champions, at least two. At least two. I can't remember if it's two or three. I think she was wrapping up her third straight this year. Probably if I, this if year. If I remember. But too you know, good for that series. Was always too good. For and sure. Can't get anywhere in Europe, which is kind of a joke, let's be honest. Well, it's the story for so many drivers, yeah. let alone women drivers. But, you know, if she can come in and compete and look, I would be all for our buddy Josh Green and Jamie Chadwick to just split all the wins <laughs> in Indy Lights in 2023. I think that'd be really cool. I'm rooting for Jamie Chadwick. I think she has all the talent in the world hasn't gotten a fair shake in Europe. She'll get a definite fair shake with a competent Indy Lights team and the Andretti coming up next year. I'm excited to watch it. Yeah, the, the depth of the field is very strong. Assuming Chadwick runs, you have Jagger Jones moving up, the grandson of Parnelli Jones. Stingray Rob, I would assume, will be back. Hunter McElray back. Um, HMD will run half the field. <laughs> Uh, I, I mean, they're just, there's a lot that you mentioned, Josh Green, a lot of talent in lights, a lot to be excited about from that aspect. What's not to be excited about? Well, <sighs> lack of money. Yeah. Lack of money. So Nathan Brown had this thread earlier today as we record on Thursday and talking about the prize pool. So Linus Lundquist only got a $500,000 check from Penske Entertainment for winning the title. So last year, Kirkwood, Kyle Kirkwood, got $1.2 million. That was combined from Anderson Promotions and Penske Entertainment. Again, big drop in numbers. Brown goes on to say that before Penske Entertainment took over Indy Lights, IndyCar typically provided half a million in prizes. Anderson contributed various amounts, the same or a little more. They included cash and other prizes, tires, testing, etc. to help the total prize for the victor hit a million or more. Obviously, Anderson Promotions no longer involved in Indy Lights. They still have the road to Indy and added another series, which we'll get to in a bit. But that, that's changed that. So the, the, the other money that was left to decide on how to further enrich the champ, or in this case, the series at large, IndyCar had the decision. A series spokesperson said they did the latter for the other roughly $700,000. So Brown laid it out. They had actual individual race purses which did not previously exist so for each of the 14 races 50,000 was doled out for the teams first place 20,000 second 15 third 10 fourth 5,000 so that gets you the $700,000 and again that's brown doing the math i did not do the math so i'm trusting <laughs> his numbers yeah as someone who is not a math guy that's why i'm in media but uh brown says obviously a choice was made at a considerable loss of the champion in prize money, Linus alone delivered 160000 to HMD. Unless he had it written into his contract that he'd receive part of that, or they themselves award him a generous gift. It stays with the team, not Linus. So the good news on all this, Brown says the 23 lights field projected to be 19 full-time cars, most since 2009. 
the bad. Again, he only has a half a million. I mean, that's under half of what guys used to bring to the table. And then Brown goes on to point out that Lewis Foster, who's the Indy Pro 2000 champ, got more money and scholarship money to advance to lights than Linus Lundquist did to go to Indy, IndyCar. So that's, that's clearly something that's an, an issue. Uh, and then with that, Patrick Steffen with TSO, Trackside Online, says, this is interesting because it's really a back-to-the-future move. The 2007 Indy Pro Series paid out $4 million in total prize money. Whoa. A team could make that 130000 running 18th in every race per an old press release. Car counts were routinely in the mid-20s back then. And the economics were a lot better yeah, back then. Yeah, the economics were a lot better, right? That's It's difficult to compare to what, 2004? Well, 2007. 2007 pre- to 2022. Yeah, so <laughs> apples and oranges. I just think, you know, you can't have a junior driver in a lower formula making more for winning the title than the guy at Indy Lights. You just can't. I, I hope this gets rectified. Sounds like miscommunication, too. The teams were under the impression that there would be a, a million-dollar payout to Linus Lundquist yes. right at the end of the year, whoever the champion was. So that in itself is not good. Look, Penske's Roger Penske hasn't gotten to where he is by shortchanging people. I feel like he'll rectify this situation in some way and make it up to Linus Lundquist. Uh, you know, but going forward, it sounds like there could be some 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 lucrative opportunities for the champion of Indy Lights per Marshall Pruitt, correct? Yes, MarshallPruittRacer.com. Talking about some changes, obviously the grid went up from 12 to 14 uh, at a handful of rounds th- this past year. As far as changes go for the future, they're looking at future scholarship incentives such as having IndyCar partners Chevrolet or Honda contribute an engine lease to each new Indy Lights champion. The same concept has been floated for Firestone to provide a year of free IndyCar tires to the title winner. Marshall says those leases would be worth more than $2 million if and when IndyCar can make them happen. Penske says we've talked about all those subjects. and We've gone to our teams and asked them to give us some insight and ideas and how we can make it better with what ends up being given to the champion. It's a focus for us because Indy Lights is an integral part of our business. Also, again, final paragraph, the possibility of a name change for the series has made the rounds as well with IndyCar Lights mentioned as a possible rebranding effort to come during the offseason. Okay. I, I don't get it. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I think Indy, Indy Lights, Lights is, is perfect. Good, right? I, I don't think there's any negative connotation with the brand. I think people have recognized the value, at least in racing circles, people have recognized the value I can come over from Europe or another country. I have more bang for my buck than racing an F2 or F3. And I have an opportunity to get to IndyCar and race in a top-level series. The only change in the name should be adding 2000 in it. Because we have USF 2000, (laughs) Indy Pro 2000, and why not have Indy Lights 2000? Or just add Firestone because aren't they the presenting sponsor or something well they're firestone no, tires yeah i don't think they are the presenting sponsor yet at least they used to be were that well back in the day yeah back right? in the day when they were yeah but it was cooper tires right when they were in the series right uh no it was the last was, title sponsor they had was mazda wasn't it mazda road to indy yeah. but it was firestone indy lights back before okay but it was never cooper and mazda cooper tires indy lights over. or anything it was correct yeah 
It was, it was presented by Cooper Tire. Yes, presented yeah. by Cooper Tire. So, so something to keep in mind. I don't get the name change, but it is what it is. And if they change it, so be it. On the one hand, like, like the article mentioned and Nathan Brown mentioned, you know, we could be pushing 20 full-time cars. That's huge growth for the series. But there have been some some question marks as far as the teams were led to believe at the Chris Griffiths test last October that everything would stay the same. And then come January, there was the change. And a lot of these teams that are expanding or entering the series, you know, were they aware of this? Does that have an impact as far as them competing in the series? I mean, it only impacts Linus Lundquist. It doesn't impact anybody else because they didn't win the championship at this point. And I imagine it will be rectified you know, for next year's champion. So I don't think it'll be a deterrent to some of these teams. I think it's it's a, it's an issue. It's an oversight. It shouldn't have happened, but I feel it'll get fixed. We shall see in due time. One other note, as far as on the ladder, Anderson Promotions announced the continuation of a partnership with the Castrol Toyota Racing Series in New Zealand. So uh, they're in New Zealand. They're worldwide. Nice. So good for them. Definitely. So that wraps up uh, kind of our main stories. If you agree, disagree, or have comments, we'd love for you to interact with us. You can find us at NewTrackRecordPodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for our email list so you never miss an episode or any special announcements. Plus, check out the store. We have stickers and t-shirts for sale even during the off-season. And you can find us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCarPodcast. On Facebook, like us, just search for New Track Record. On Instagram, IndyCar Podcast is a handle as well. You can email us, NewTrackRecordPodcast at gmail.com. Become a patron via Patreon.com slash NewTrackRecord. Thanks to Xavier, Rob, and others who are patrons for us on there. Those uh, subscriptions start with is just as little as $1 a month. That's it. And then you can always follow us for free on your favorite podcasting platform, whether it is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Overcast, CastBox, Air, or wherever you find your podcasts, as always, all for free. Okay, Justin, mailbag time, and not that we have a ton to get to, but a couple of things. Some comments on this uh, proposed test, the Thermal Club. Swanky. Yes. Hunter's Way 67 says, I might have to check this out. That is a haul for me, a good two hours away. You're not going to be let in. You don't make seven figures. (laughs) Good luck. Maybe take the wife to Palm Springs for a few days. Any excuse to go to Palm Springs, I think, is nice. I agree. Uh, Some comments on Kyle Busch. Rumor for that McLaren Indy 500 entry. Vicky Lynn 26. McLaren just needs to stop. At what point does it become obvious that they can't sign everyone SMH? <laughs> well, they can only sign Pillow. Couldn't sign Pillow. Then He's got everybody else they've wanted. Scuba Steve 85 says, I know it would be good exposure for IndyCar, but his debaggery was one of the reasons I stopped watching NASCAR. Don't really care to see him at Indy. I love debaggery. I think there will be a lot of boos and a lot of cheers at the same time if he does run in the Indy 500 and when they announce him. And I'm excited for that. That is, that is the, the hate that Robin Miller always <laughs> wanted any car to have a driver who's controversial. And I can't think of a driver more controversial than Kyle Busch. 
as far as fans either love him or seriously hate him. and he's gonna tell you what's on your mind and prepare yourself 500 and indycar fans he may some say some things that you don't appreciate but i appreciate the honesty yes and that will be fascinating from a media perspective to follow all month long if indeed he does run the indy 500 next year could he be uh you know when we look at it and Kyle bush is a guy that indycar has wanted at the 500 for a while and fans kyle larson as well could this be you know a bridge to other guys could it be kyle larson then you know we kind of talked about this with kurt bush and it never really materialized but you know could have let's say Kurt Busch talked to Jimmy Johnson about how much fun he had, and then eventually Jimmy wanted to give IndyCar a shot upon his conclusion of his career in Cup. So could this lead into a Kyle Larson appearance? Could this lead into what we feel is inevitable for Tony Stewart to eventually come back with a team or an affiliation? You know, Hopefully this is just the first step in, in some broader relationships between the two. Then we have an email. This from Matt. It says he enjoys the podcast. Liar. He grew up during the split, so cart IRL, then IndyCar era, all he's ever really known. Same. I don't really remember anything before that. But he says, been paying attention to your commentary, Marshall Pruitt's commentary, and just generally watching numbers as it concerns to TV ratings. I always agree that we need higher ratings. I played along that all things revolve around the ratings, etc. However, my thoughts are starting to change. Not sure the ratings matter as much as we think. For example, in last week's episode, one of you said we'd have 40 cars at Indy if we just had the engines. I agree with this. Just based on reporting interested parties, that means there's clearly a disconnect between ratings and the team driver field. We're maxed out on space and some pit lanes uh, because we have so many cars, yet ratings are terrible. NBCPR can spend things all they want. The 500 regress and USA ratings get beat by Harry Potter reruns. No disrespect to the boy who lived, of course. <laughs> Fascinating that the field is as strong as ever, but ratings and general fan support is very weak, right? I don't know about fan support being weak. Ratings, I guess, though, ratings are up. We can't deny yeah, that. Up is up, right? We can say, like true. he mentioned, the NBC spin, we we can spin it that. Uh, he goes on He to makes say, a lot of good points. Matt does. Maybe IndyCar isn't chasing the ratings as much as it's chasing owners with deep pockets, drivers with deep pockets, or owners, drivers connected to people with deep pockets. There are very few non-top level non-wealthy drivers getting hired and coincidentally there are very few non-wealthy owners also please save the dale coin argument look at dale's outside businesses and his properties before anybody tells me poor dale isn't wealthy same for hunkos and shank ricky had a partner with hollinger and shank went buddy buddy with the owner of sirius xm and audio net auto nation and the driver front just be honest you're either bringing money sponsorship or you're a premier talent not a ton in between bottom line it's rich man's hobby for those who have an interest in fast cars and a taste for competition. As a fan, I love the fast cars and competition, so I guess I'm okay with it. And if it were only about the ratings, there's no way we'd see field expansion like we have. And we didn't read the whole thing on the podcast like Matt said at the end. <laughs> <laughs> that was for you. We, it is a, a lot rich of man good points in it. Yeah, it's a rich man sport, but a always, lot of motorsport is. Yeah. Always will be. That said, I think Ricardo Junkos is comfortable, but not rich by any means. Yeah. I feel like Michael Shank is comfortable, but not rich by any means. Maybe that changed after winning the Indianapolis 500. Probably helped. Probably helped. But like you mentioned, this has always been a well-off sport. I mean, the days of building a car in your garage and showing up and qualifying for a race are gone. 
You're not doing that in Formula One, and for the most part, you're not doing that in NASCAR either. So it is very much a white-collar sport, is motorsports. And it didn't used to be that way, but it, it has been since it's gotten more modern. More technology. I mean, that's yeah. just the way it's gone. I don't, I don't know if it's a detriment to back-in-my-day type stuff, but that's just the way, way technology has gone, and it's priced out a lot of people. And another thing to look at with that, before we move on, quite simply, yes, it is a rich man sport. And also the TV ratings, we talk about them all the time because it is important, but the field is healthy. It's competitive. We don't have people who are just so far out of their depth. They don't belong because we had drivers like that in, in the 90s in cart, in the 80s in cart. That was common. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have that a whole lot in IndyCar currently. And as far as TV ratings go, outside the Indy 500 for a long time, I mean, a lot of the races with your tape delayed or True. got terrible ratings. So I guess it's easy to look at it from that perspective that we get to watch all the races live on TV or streaming on Peacock here in the States. And with that, that's still pretty healthy. Relatively healthy compared to what it was 10 years ago, maybe even six years ago, right? So... There are some limitations. I think the capping the car count issue right now is a is a major issue, in my opinion. But this sport has faced greater challenges just over the past decade than what we have right now. So as much as we like to uh, complain, me in particular, there is definitely a lot to like with IndyCar of 2022. Moving on to news and notes and just a few quick items to get to. First off from Marshall Pruitt's mailbag. As far as a new chassis, Marshall says, I followed a story about a number, but by no means all team owners and team bosses calling for new cars and fresher technology, including thoughts from Zach about six months ago. And since then, I've only heard the topic lose traction. There's one misperception in a Q&A Jay Fry did for what it's worth, where it was thought he said we wouldn't have a new chassis until 2028. I do remember that. He told me that was false, but we still don't have a locked-in date for the next Delara. So something to keep in mind. Remember, we talked about Zach Brown's comments last week. If you had to... So we're getting the hybrid technology in 2024. Mm -hmm. And they're supposed to reduce some of the aero screen weight for next for year. next year, right? Correct. What, 15 pounds or 18 pounds? Something like that. Something considerable. If I had to guess right now, I would say by... 2026 we have a new chassis yeah i would i almost would say 2025 yeah, i would say point. 2025 you would say 2025 barring any setback you know as far as for example a pandemic or <laughs> uh, a major recession do you think there is at least preliminary development conversations going on about a new chassis right now yes because i would say there has to be because they're designing a new engine right correct and that has to they have to make i that have work. to feel that behind the scenes they already have either some sketches or some ideas or maybe they've even asked delara to present some ideas all behind the scenes you know right out of the public eye in planning for that because if we do if it does happen in fruition by 2023 or 2025 excuse me that's really not a lot of time no. You know what I mean? I mean, you're two and a half years away. If 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 it's ready for the 2025 season, I would think we'd see an unveiling 
at the Indy five by the Indy five hundred next year. I I think maybe that's too soon. I could see maybe the twenty twenty four Indianapolis five hundred and then tests following that throughout the season to prep it for twenty twenty five. But at the very least, if that would happen by twenty twenty five, there need to be some designs and some some sketches and some planning going on behind the scenes. I I believe that that is happening in my mind. I feel like when we when we look at Delara and the relationship there, I feel like and maybe it's even independent of of IndyCar. Maybe Delara is like, hey, let's get ahead of this thing. They're going to need a new chassis. Let's start designing something. So when they call, we have something to present. I absolutely think at the very least something like that is happening. Another note from the mailbag that we did not get to last week on our favorite topic, third OEM. Marshall Pruitt saying uh, after Toyota, and that's a, a no-go as far as we know. Pruitt saying, I've heard there's another brand that's sniffing around, but I don't have a name to share here quite yet. Not interested. Do you have a guess? No, I don't. At this point, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about OEMs right now. Don't care. But if I had to guess. So you do have a guess. Nissan. Okay, that's a good guess. I'll yeah. go with BMW, just because. Yeah. But yeah, we have no clue. No, we have no clue, nor am I getting my hopes up at this point. I have no clue. No idea. Continuing on in news and notes, Kelly Crandall, who covers NASCAR for Racer.com, right? Yeah, uh, does a good job. Scott Miller tells Sirius XM NASCAR that resin will be put down, the tire dragon will be used at the beginning of the weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. So that's something to think of when IndyCar goes there next year. Not not PJ1, but resin. Should we expect Firestone at this point to be able to design a tire that can run on that compound? I would expect them to at least do something to help create a second lane. I, I don't think at this point we can rely on the track to do what's best for IndyCar. I don't think no. any type of testing is going to help in terms of running an extra practice. I think, unfortunately, it has to come from Firestone and say, okay, this is the compound that's going to be on the track. What can you put together in terms of a tire that doesn't race so terribly on the resin? That may be the only answer. As far as resin and what it's done for IndyCar, I don't really know, to be honest. Uh, Obviously, the PJ1 was very detrimental to the grip and the upper lane. I don't know if resin is as bad. I don't believe it is. I don't think it is, but it's still not ideal for IndyCar unless they come up with a tire compound that's more friendly. Just something to keep in mind. Obviously, we we don't have an answer. We'll find out practice sessions. We're going back to Texas, folks. Yeah. And maybe there's an actual idea or ideas in which to market it a little bit better and get more than a half a dozen people there. (laughs) Yeah. More than the 5,000 or whatever that showed up this year. Uh, Chip Ganassi Racing driver Marcus Erickson, the Indy 500 winner, got to see uh, the unveil of himself, the the clay Looks like model. him. That's it, always the, does. the key. does look like him. So that's pretty cool. I'm sure as we move further on into the offseason, we'll have the actual mold. I guess that could come, what, in probably January or so. But always really cool to see, and it it does look like him. This from Tony D. Indy. Update. A documentary on Dan Weldon has been finished. It's been sent to a film fest to be picked up. If it doesn't, the investors will look to take it to a streaming platform. So that's interesting. Yeah. I'm not 
not sure if that's going to put IndyCar in a good light or not. <laughs> I but, don't think so. But uh, it's at least interesting, and I think uh, our listeners will be intrigued by that if there's a way to view that eventually. And with that, time for Tweets of the Week, and it's really just Tweet of the Week. There's only one. But Rob Edwards, the real RBE of Andretti Autosport, so I mentioned that uh, the Road to Indy extended their partnership with New Zealand's Castrol Toyota Racing Series. And Rob Edwards quote tweeted that and said, super license points? Question mark. Ah, <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving, huh? Yes. I wonder how Colton Herta feels about all the jokes made about that in the after. I, I get the drivers were defending him. Graham Rahal right. had some great tweets in the last week defending Herta's talent. And everyone knows that it's kind of a joke that he's not qualified. Look, you you have to remember if Indy Lights had one more driver in twenty what twenty eighteen that Hurd I believe would have the points to to, yeah. to make it. It's just a weird anomaly there that's really hurt him. But yes, I'm curious when one of Herda's bosses is even mocking how stupid everything is with that. The good thing is is that there is constant revolving situations in formula one in terms of seats and there was multiple teams that were interested in colton Herta. so if he goes out has a somewhat competent 2023 and they fix the super license points issue i feel like for 2024 he's in formula one he just unfortunately needs to bide his time for another year or just you know have an excellent season yeah, finish in the top two and make it no question mark that he will be an f1 in 2024 all right, time for our random split air driver of the week. All right, we're going to the IRL, and we're going to 2003. And this guy actually raced in kart for several years, and so you may know him from there, but raced only two races in the IRL. Shinji Nakano? I have heard of him. Yes. And I, I find him interesting. He ro- raced for, I think he was a Formula One in a couple races. Um, yeah. More than a couple, actually. 33 times uh, he was entered for Prost and Minardi. And I think he tested for Jordan, I think. Correct. So 33 Grands Prix, as they Yeah, the Grands Prix. But he <laughs> started two races in 2003 for Beck Motorsports after three races or three seasons in kart. And finished 11th at Motegi and 14th at Indianapolis in that 2003 season. 2000, he raced for Walker Racing. 01 was with Fernandez Racing as well as 2002. Never had a podium finish in kart. Closest he got was 4th at Toronto in 2002. The thing that I found most interesting about Shinji Nakano is when I looked him up on Wikipedia, he actually has a separate subhead for his helmet. And it like just explains his helmet and his career huh. and and like it goes through says helmet was black with a black circle on the top surrounded by a white halo blah 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 in card he changed the black for white the halo became blue the black circle became red in Le Mans he added more flames to the point where the checkered flag was like it just goes through his helmet design and it's just something like you know something his his kid would get on there and like write about it. like yeah <laughs> I'm gonna add to your Wikipedia page and write about your helmets but um. Yeah, still, still with us. Fifty-one years old. Like he said, we he did uh, some Japanese Formula Three Thousand in the mid '90s, and then he did Formula One. It was '97 and '98. He was in Formula One, and then came over, raced three seasons, portions of three seasons in kart, and then two in the IRL 
in 2003. Then he went 24-hour Le Mans. Nine starts in the 24 hours of Le Mans, and then completed in three seasons in WEC as well, most recently in 2016. Yeah, so 51 years old, uh, from Japan, born in Takasuki, Osaka, Japan, and uh, several starts in Formula 1, 33, did some 24-hour Le Mans, and maybe one of those Japanese drivers that's not on the tip of your tongue when we talk about open wheel racing in North America, but Shinji Nakano, portions of three seasons in kart, and then that 2003 season in the IRL with Beck Motorsports for two races, including a 14th place finish at the Indianapolis 500 in 2003. This week's random split era driver of the week, Mr. Shinji Nakano. And one of three Japanese drivers in the IRL in 2003. Yeah, I was loaded. Uh, ran a handful of races. Obviously, we mentioned Shinji Nakano. And then, is it Shige Hattori? I believe yeah. is how it was pronounced. Shige Hattori. Or AJ Foyt for a, a handful of races as well. So, a lot of Japanese drivers in that era. And then, obviously, following them, you had Kosuke Matsura, Hideki Muto, and then Takuma Sato. Tongue. Oh, well. He, he wasn't from Japan, right? He was from Did Korea? he ever He tried to qualify for the 500. I do remember that. But I don't think he made it. I don't know if he ever competed in an IndyCar race. He, He's like Chinese, said, right? He, uh, he is Chinese and Dutch, dual nationality. Gotcha. But I don't believe he ever actually competed. No, he did. One IndyCar race, Sonoma, in 2011 with Dragon Racing. He finished 27th. Obviously did not qualify for the 2011 Indy 500. I remember him. I was at the 500 for, for qualifying day, and... Could not figure out who that was. He wasn't on my sheet to qualify and could not figure out who Ho Pin Tung was, but he was with Dragon Racing that year, did not qualify, but then appeared at the race in Sonoma after that. So, uh, yeah, going down a bit of memory lane with Ho Pin Tung there. But just, anyway, just Shinji Naka- uh, Nakano, right? Our random Shinji Nakano, yeah, that is random split error driver of the week this week. All right, next week, uh, hopefully we'll have the 2023 IndyCar schedule to discuss. Plus, we will be joined by our IndyCar Fantasy Challenge winner. He will join us next week with an interview. That is to come as the offseason rolls along. For Justin Kinney, I'm Caleb Hatch. Thanks for joining us on another edition of New Track Record Podcast. A veteran charity is hosting a new track series to reduce veteran suicide. The format is track cross, like a time trial or time attack, but with just one car running at a time. Drivers compete individually and as teams. The event is at Summit Point Raceway on October 22nd. Registration is on motorsportreg.com. Search for Top Dog Track Cross. Podcasts by Federated Media.